Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bent Tree Church. I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, as you're turning to that, uh, I want you to always know that it, it's a great idea to bring your Bibles. We also have notes. If you want to follow along on that, uh, you can take notes on that and then... Um, uh, that will help you as you kind of unpack that later on uh, if you want to take notes on that stuff. As you're getting that all that stuff out, a couple of reminders for you. We have a mission team coming up in, uh, in going to Africa over Thanksgiving. Be praying for that as they're going to uh, Kenya. And uh, I also want you to know uh, for both our, our uh, folks here at Loveland but also in Greeley, uh, as we are a growing church, we have a lot of of uh, children. We are a very prolific church, and we need people to step up in every area, but especially in our next generation department uh, on that. So see Pastor Mike over in Greeley, uh, or Tanya over there, uh, or Angel over here, uh, or even Kristen or myself. So I'm, uh, I guess it's really see me, not see myself. So um, if you remember, we're in volume three, Revelation volume three, week two of our series, Revelation. So this is the third set of series, if you will, on Revelation as we go kind of verse by verse through scripture, unpacking uh, the Bible on this. And I love it. We're, we're going to jump right in. Uh, but just let me just tell you, four rules for safety as we go through this book. Uh, and this is important to understand as we go through this book that uh, these safety rules are there for you. Is Think about all the imagery that comes. Don't shy away from the imagery, but rather, rather I want you to understand that the imagery will help you go deeper, help you understand what that looks like, and uh, it, it, will, it will be good if you lean into the imagery. Second thing is come every week. Uh, don't miss if you can at all help if you're out of town or sick. We understand you can pick that up. Uh, at bentreechurch.com or uh, you can watch the sermon on your app but you'll get lost pretty quick if you don't watch those uh, number three is leave what you think you know about the book of revelation uh, at the door and this is why there's so much false teaching out there and what I've found is that a lot of Christians have kind of accidentally ingested that and kind of have come up with this false idea of what Revelation is about, uh, or even that you can't understand it. Uh, and, and so what we always say here is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Don't just take what I say as fact by any means. Uh, interpret it through Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Number four is don't let disagreements about the interpretation bring disagreements disunity in the body of Christ. Uh, there are open-handed issues that people disagree on, uh, and we just don't know. about Things like uh, the, uh, the rapture of when it happens. Don't let things uh, divide us. There are closed-handed issues that are not open to negotiation, though, uh, like Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Amen? Uh, so those are things that, as we go forward, will help us get going. Well, let's jump in. Uh, last week, we were introduced to a key player in the end times um, called the Antichrist, or what the Bible calls the dun 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 the beast, right? Uh, and, and he appears in a seven-year time frame uh, that we've studied. Much of the book of Revelation is about called the 
tribulation, uh, the tribulation, war, famine, disease, uh, economic collapse. Man, the world uh, is falling apart in this seven-year time frame. Uh, and, and chaos in these seven years of tribulation come out directly out of what we believe the rapture to be. Now, we covered this in volume two, so you can go back and look at what the rapture is, what we teach here at Bentry. Uh, but again, that's an open-handed subject. Uh, what the rapture is, in short, is the sudden worldwide disappearance of all true believers where, boom, they disappear in the blink of an eye, reappear in heaven uh, with new bodies. We covered that in Revelation volume 2. So remember, this is an open-handed issue, though. Don't let this divide. There are some solid believers that come down on both sides of if there is a rapture and when does it happen? Does it happen at the first, in the middle, or at the end? I have to tell you, for me, I am a solid pre-tribulation rapture person, and here's why. Here's why. I can give you lots of reason, but more than anything else, the rapture is the thing that launches the tribulation. It is the thing that actually causes the worldwide economic collapse that we see, that we'll look at in Scripture. Uh, it is the thing with, uh, that the world goes bad from. Think of it this way. I think I used this analogy before. It's a good one. Is I had a freezer one time full of meat, uh, and I worried because, man, if that ever got unplugged, and sure enough, it got unplugged, and that freezer had been unplugged in the summertime for two weeks full of meat. What do you think happened? It went bad. It smelled really, really bad. So here's what I know is Christians work as a preservative, uh, true Christians on this world. If we all pulled out all at once, this world would go bad very quickly, not to mention economic collapse on that. So um, God begins to pour out tremendous evil uh, or tremendous judgment, and in this time, evil really surges forth. Does that make sense? Evil is rampant and turmoil that ensues cripples every aspect of planet Earth. The Antichrist or the beast is able to unite, though, warring factions and bring peace, bring order out of chaos. Now, this is important to understand. He is, in effect, kind of a savior, an economic savior. What we learned about this guy is he's a master politician. He's able to uh, work as a diplomat and get people going in the right direction. He comes on the scene right at the first of the tribulation when everything is falling apart. There's not enough jobs, there's not enough money, there's no power, things like that. Everything is going wrong. This guy does the impossible is he gets politicians to work together. And maybe even more impossible is he gets all of the religions of the world to also work together. Now this is important to understand. We learn that the Antichrist brings peace to the city of Jerusalem, indeed to the nation of Israel, and we've never had full peace through there. There's always been conflict uh, all the way back to the time of Christ and even before. And if you remember back to volume two of our series, uh, the, the beast or the Antichrist is the one that spurs the construction of a temple, a new Jewish temple on the temple mount uh, of there. So uh, the Jews love him, or at least at first. The guy's loved, he's handsome, uh, probably 
physically pretty tall. Uh, he's probably kind of uh, middle-aged but younger looking. Got slight graying of the hair uh, right there, right? He, he looks like he has some wisdom. He's got charismatic energy. Um, and everybody in the world loves him. Well, well not everybody. We're going to see that a little bit today. But, um, but the Antichrist is so good at what he does, he's able to get his opponents out of the way quickly and unite around a vision and a goal. And just a reminder, while all the stuff is going on, while this huge surge in evil, while he's doing the stuff, bringing the, the world back from the edge of total collapse, there is a revival that is starting. And this revival is led by 144,000 Jewish believers that have come to faith in Christ after the rapture. Now, these are not just any believers. These are very specific ones that work as evangelists spread out all, all over the world. And from this, a massive Jewish revival where uh, the gospel is spread there, millions of Jews come, but millions of Gentiles also, and possibly billions of people turn to Christ. Now, what's interesting is uh, we'll get last week... Uh, we looked at this a little bit, they will be persecuted uh, and even killed for their faith. We're going to see that even more today. Uh, last week we got a whole verse into chapter 13. We didn't go very far, uh, really only half a verse. We added the second half right at the end. But today we're going to go a little bit faster, so uh, uh, we'll, you guys keep up. But first, would you bow your head and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy of our worship. God, we have sung songs to you. We've prayed. We've, we've lifted holy hands to you. But now, now we offer our attention, our focus, our brains, our hearts as worship to you as well. Uh, God, would you just reveal your truth to us today? It's in that contained in your words. It's, a, it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we all prayed and said, amen, amen. Well, as we take this verse by verse and start to unpack it, remember from last week, the great dragon, Satan, uh, he's called the, the great ancient dragon, a red dragon in chapter 12 of Revelation. Satan is pictured standing on the sea or the sand near the sea and drawing something out of the sea uh, and something hideously evil and it's all image here. We said uh, Satan is the dragon and he's drawing up this monster, this beast, if you will, the Antichrist. This is the image and one with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head are a blasphemous name uh, on his heads. This relates back, if you remember, to the book of Daniel um, and chapter 12 of Revelation. Let's pick it up in verse 2. Here it is. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, a couple of things going on. Look at the imagery. Look at the imagery in there. Uh, don't be afraid of it. These images are identifiers uh, of some great kingdoms, Gentile kingdoms from the past. 
Now, we could go and actually plug these different things like the paws, the face, uh, you know, all these different things. Uh, we can plug them into specific Gentile kingdoms. But what I want you to see is this. Um, the Antichrist is a culmination of all the great Gentile kingdoms that once dominated the Hebrew people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is He is a culmination, and we'll talk about what he means, but he's all these things. That's what the images are talking about, these different aspects of what this beast looks like. It's a new Rome, if you will. I mean, places like Greece or the Medes, uh, uh, you've got all these uh, pieces that dominated one time the Jewish people, uh, Persia out there. And, And even when John is writing this in AD 96, what we're finding is Rome was still in power at that time. He's talking about a new Rome. I, I want you to see this. A little side note here. There are kingdoms and peoples uh, that would colonize the world. These are the ones uh, that we would think of as the West. It would culminate. Uh, they're the ones that would colonize, think about it, Europe, then Africa, Asia, places like India, then the Americas. Uh, you see it kind of washing over. God would use this, that kind of wave of colonization, to spread the gospel. We saw that, but now, since the Christians have been raptured out, this is also going to be a place where a, uh, a, another church is there, kind of a dead Christian church. They would call themselves Christians, but they weren't taken in the rapture. This is going to be, you're going to see that. Let me see if I can point out something that's pretty interesting to me. When you talk about a ruler, um, a king, a president, prime minister, you get the idea, When you say he is doing something, you're not just talking about the man, you're also talking about his government. I mean, think about Vladimir Putin uh, in Russia. We say uh, Putin is uh, hacking the U.S. election system there. Uh, is Putin doing it? No, no, he's, he's the head of that organization, but it's his government. It's, it's his people. Does that make sense? So when you talk about a ruler, you're talking about them and their government. Same way with President Trump. If you love him or hate him, people say, look what Trump is doing. He's trying to build a wall. Now, you can't see uh, President Trump down there with a trowel and bricks and putting up bricks. You know, he wouldn't do it. Uh, he would have his government do that, right? Uh, so the Antichrist we're talking about is both a man and a system of government. Does that make sense? Both a man and a system of government. Now, although he is manipulated by Satan, an agent of Satan, the first three and a half years, I, I believe he is manipulated, not possessed. I'll show you that a little bit. Uh, he's guided, manipulated is a great word, by Satan. It, it, it is the thing that is guiding him, but I don't know if he would know that. He's just a very gifted person, but that's all about to change. And here's why, because he's described as having seven heads. This is where it gets interesting quick. Let's take a look at Revelation 13, verse 3. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded. Hang on right there. 
Here's what I want you to do. Picture the Antichrist. He's on TV. Uh, probably he's not going to be called the Antichrist. Probably have some great name. He's on TV. Remember the first three and a half years, he's brought people back from the edge of destruction, united all these people in government and also religion, all these false religions under him. He's loved is what I'm saying. Let's say he's just, he's speaking on TV. People are watching it on their phones live. They're watching on TV. They're watching on their computer screen. And boom, a bullet strikes him in the head. And blood splatters and he crumples and instantly everyone is up around him trying to protect him it's chaos people are screaming and it looks like he has been killed in fact the news announcers are going crazy about this as they start to uh, talk about this thing it's almost like if you remember the 9-11 disaster when the two planes struck the world trade center we saw over and over every angle that was ever videoed of the plane striking we're going to see that with the uh with the antichrist a bullet striking his head him falling down blood people going up over this john describes something here that's very obvious to me there is an assassination attempt on the antichrist uh, and he is killed or at least appears to be killed. He is loved by the masses, but there's many that want him dead. He's pushed people out of the way on this, and he has made someone mad. He pushes rulers out of the way. Somebody's trying to kill him, and now we don't know if it's a bullet for sure. Uh, You'll find later on it's described as a sword, but that may be more imagery than anything. We don't know if it was a bomb. Uh, I don't know, if did anybody see last week uh, uh, the assassination attempt, the very first one using a drone on the uh, leader of Argentina. Uh, multiple drones came in while he was giving a speech, uh, and uh, I, I'm, he was okay, but uh, several were hurt from that. Um, but you get the picture. The point is, the world sees it on their phone or on their computer screen all at the same time. But then, look at the next part of the verse. Uh, It says, but its fatal wound was healed. Now remember, John is seeing this picture that Jesus is revealing to him. He's seeing this monster, one of the seven heads, but this is what we think is happening. Its fatal wound was healed. Fatal means he was killed. It looked at least like it was healed. Everyone's in shock around the world. Hours later, as people are mourning, you guys that remember the JFK assassination, they go, hey, the president is now dead. It's that kind of thing. They're all looking at the news, and then the people come on, and they say, we don't understand. Uh, The Antichrist, the beast, is, is alive. He did not die. He's come back from death. They've been able to resuscitate him. Uh, The world saw it. No one could have survived this, they think, but there he is healed, and after a time, he makes out of the hospital, makes a full recovery, and now look what the world does, the last part of this verse. Here it is. The world, I'm sorry, the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. Now, they loved him before. But now they're going to follow him. You're going to see something. Everyone's going crazy on this. The leader has come back to life. No one could have survived that. Now here's the thing I want you to see. Satan only has the lie as his tool. He only can lie. That is his tool. He cannot create. 
He can only bring illusion. Uh, Think of it this way. Satan has no power to create. He can't bring people back from the dead. He can't say, hey, here's a new species of flower or animal. His only tool is the lie, illusion, and deception. And yet he wields that power with authority and to great effect. This is what's happening again. I want you to see this. It's the case here. This is a lie. This is an illusion. The Antichrist, the beast, seems to come back from the dead. And he's been resurrected. And the result? Well, just think about it. What was the result of the real Jesus, the Christ, coming back from the dead? A worldwide phenomenon. You, you saw the power of God and the message of the gospel go around the world. What if millions saw something, what they believed was true, it was really a lie that this guy was killed and came back to life? I'm not saying he's not wounded, but they're going to think he was dead and resurrected from the dead. Now let me just say something about Satan and this, the beast, the Antichrist, that seemed to operate freely Uh, on earth during this time i want you to understand this satan can only do what a sovereign god allows him to do get this satan can only do what a sovereign god allows him to do yes it's a battle between good and evil but it's not really a battle at all because god is all-powerful satan is a created limited being now some of you notice uh i did not say god causes evil i did not say that uh no god is sovereign he is over everything and even though satan wields tremendous power with the lie and deception uh in this time and even greater in that time in the tribulation God is still in control. God will use all of that, what Satan is doing, to complete his purpose. He is sovereign, but he does not cause it. Do you understand? And Satan will be cast at one day, we'll see at the very last of the book, he will be cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. Folks, it is at this point in time when the Antichrist is mortally wounded and comes back and recovers and seems to come back from the dead that I think Satan enters this physical man. This is the point. At three and a half years, the Antichrist is possessed by Satan fully and fully is controlled by Satan himself. The Antichrist uh, does something... uh, that like Judas did, where Satan entered Judas and Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver on this. I want you to understand, the Antichrist appears to be divine because of a fake resurrection, but it's not true. The Antichrist appears to be divine because of a fake resurrection. Don't miss this. If Jesus is the real Christ, the real Savior, who's, uh, who rose from the dead after three days in the grave, uh, walked around, conversed with people for 40 days, and then ascended uh, to the throne room of God, right? This, though, is a false resurrection. It is not real. But people believe it in great numbers. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He, talking about the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God, notice the little g, or object of worship. Now watch what he does next. 
so that he sits in God's temple, the holy God, Yahweh, proclaiming that he himself is, in fact, Yahweh himself. He says, I am God. He sits in there. This is how Satan works. He has no ability to create on his own. He has no earthly body, Satan. He has no earthly body. He has to work through deception, and he has to start, he's, everybody starts to follow the Antichrist because of this event. They followed him as a politician before. Now they follow him as a savior. And what happens uh, next? Here's what you want to see. The Antichrist claims to be God and sets himself up in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped. Oh, folks, this is scary. This is scary. This is hard to wrap our minds around uh, right now. But the power of his resurrection and the claim to be a deity on this and then him pulling back the world from the edge of economic collapse and, and military wars, pulling them back to peace. Plus, let's get real, let's get real. If Satan working through the Antichrist, uh, Satan is a spirit being. He has been in the presence of the Most High God. He is, uh, he is described as a fallen angel, an angel of light. Many theologians believe that he was the director of worship in the throne room of God. What I'm saying is he knows what holiness and grandeur look like. He knows what a spirit world looks like. He can fake it in a very real way. I want you to see this. Satan is getting what he always wanted to get. He's sitting in the throne room of God in a rebuilt temple on the temple mount and being worshiped as God. Do you see what's happening? Look at this. Look at verse 4. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. Now look at this. Don't get confused. Who is the dragon again? It's, say it with me. It's Satan, right? And who is the beast? That's the Antichrist. So all these people are worshiping the dragon, Satan, because he gave authority to the beast. Oh, please see this. Please see this. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? Do you see what's happening here? That's how we know Satan has entered the Antichrist, is this verse. He's taken possession of him, just like he did with Judas. Why? Because the dragon gave the authority and the entire world knew about it. Do you see this picture? It is a picture of a fake God in heaven giving his fake authority to a fake Christ. That's why we call him the Antichrist. Now, followers of the beast may call him the beast, not, may not call him the beast. In fact, I doubt that they would. I, I think they would probably call him something like Christ or some cool name out there. And I think that they would call the, bee, uh, or the dragon Satan, I think they would call him God, or Allah, or any name for God around the world. So get this, whatever God creates, whatever God does that's good, Satan comes up with a version of it, uh, but with evil mixed in, claiming to be good. Now don't miss this. Because if you can get this nailed down in your mind, 
you're going to see how to avoid the schemes of Satan, not just then, but, um, but now. But now. Here's how you avoid Satan. How do you know if something is good or bad? Let me ask the question. How do you know if it's good or bad? Just kind of a, a warm feeling on there. Uh, it must, here it is. It must line up with Scripture and not just a verse. It must line up and can, uh, connect to all of Scripture. It must connect there. Look at this. Write this down. We know of something's true goodness by the way it measures up to the Word of God. If it is indeed true, if it is good and of God, it will connect to Scripture perfectly. And you'll know this when people try to point out something that's not good that, and they try to connect it. They'll try to do like Satan does and they'll try to use part of Scripture but then it will uh, not connect to another part of Scripture. Make sense? Make sense? That's why it's so important not only to own a Bible but to study it daily, to know it inside and out so that when someone does misquote it or uh, puts it in the wrong uh, context, you can say, Oh, that's not true. And they say, well, why? And you say, well, because I know the Bible. That's why we preach from the Bible. Um, back to our story. The Antichrist is wounded, appears to be killed, but makes a full recovery. Meanwhile, Satan enters the Antichrist fully, possesses him. The world is worshiping the dragon for saving the beast and bringing him back. And they worship the beast. They worship the uh, dragon. They worship Satan. This is the halfway point in the tribulation, three and a half years in. And we thought stuff was evil in the first three and a half years. But baby, you have not seen anything yet. Because the last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. It is what we're, we're saying is when it gets really bad. Look at this. Here we are. Revelation 13, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter boast and, boast and blasphemies. Hang on right there. What is it talking about? You ever notice in social media or on the news where suddenly someone's the new hot person uh, that everyone wants to listen to? Maybe it's a movie star. Maybe it's a politician out there. They've been given a stage and suddenly everyone is listening. This is what's happening. Suddenly the entire world is listening to the, the beast here. And he utters boasts and blasphemies. In other words, he's saying, who, look who I am. He's claiming to be God. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Any, any mathematicians, how many years is this? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. It's talking about the second half now. Now, who gives the Antichrist the beast's power? Satan does. Notice that not only does the Antichrist have the attention and love of the world, um, but will also accept, he, the Antichrist, will accept worship as a god. Now, we haven't seen that. We've come close, right? Uh, you know, like uh, uh, big entertainment stars that will jokingly say, uh, you know, I'm bigger than Jesus. You remember, remember the Beatles saying that, right? There, I'm bigger than Jesus. That was, a, that was a joke, right? Side note, this man, the Antichrist, has fallen for temptation that Jesus was offered. Remember, the Antichrist originally was a physical man, first three and a half years. 
He's fallen for a temptation. Do you recognize the temptation? It's the same one that was offered to Jesus when Jesus is tempted by Satan. When Satan says, hey, look, Jesus, the entire world, it can all be yours. It's mine right now. It can be yours if you'll just what? Fall down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? He says, get away from me. He says, get away from me, Satan. Satan has found someone that will bow down to him and worship. So what does the Antichrist do with the new fame, the new power that he has, and the seed of power inside the new Jerusalem? Here it is. Here it is. Verse 6. It began to speak blasphemies against God. Notice the big G, God. In other words, he calls out things that God has said, and he says blasphemous things about it. In other words, he contradicts Scripture. To blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell on the earth. He starts speaking out against Christians, the ones that were us, you and I, if we're real Christians, we're the ones in heaven taken into the rapture. But then the ones now in this seven-year time frame, this growing revival of true believers, he starts to curse them and bring blasphemous names. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. Now, please understand, he starts to kill and persecute and make their lives a living hell. I want you to see, God is still in control. This is happening to the believers on earth. But God is in control. Doesn't seem like it. I want you to understand that, but he's in control. Look at this. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So now where he had a worldwide government, he consolidates control. Uh, there are no outliers of, hey, you know, Argentina or Russia, they're not a part of us. Now it's truly worldwide control. He blasphemies, blasphemes God in heaven, the people who are raptured, uh, the Christians there, and he gets all the control consolidated. I think the Antichrist will also do something else. He will blame the Christians for all of the, uh, the world's problems, especially experienced in that first three and a half years. He'll say it's their fault. It's their God's fault. If they had believed how we believed, we wouldn't be here. He'll say things like that. And the Antichrist may even blame the Christians for his assassination attempt. People will be angry. They'll want to kill Christians on sight. Look at this. Verse 8. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Let's read that again. All those who live on the earth. How many? All, right? All those will worship it. What is he talking about? Will worship the beast and everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life from the, of the lamb who was slaughtered. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus the lamb who was slaughtered, what is this book of life? Let's be clear. Who is worshiping the Antichrist here? Everyone who's not written in this book. So we need to know the book. A couple of things I want us to see here. These people uh, will be the ones who were left on the earth uh, when Jesus called the followers home. 
in the rapture. Meaning, these people had a chance to become believers, but they didn't. They chose not to believe in Jesus. And indeed, they will have heard and seen a ton of people now giving their life to Christ in this huge worldwide revival. Indeed, they are choosing these people he's talking about that worship the beast will choose knowing to worship the beast <coughs> knowing that he is actively persecuting and, uh, Christians and blaspheming God. Do you understand that? Now let me close our time with this. Notice it says, everyone whose name is not written in the book of life are the worshipers of the Antichrist, the beast. How about these names that are written in the book of life? Who is that? Let me just ask, uh, why do, does an all-knowing God uh, need to write something down? It's not to remember. He's talking about a legal document like a car title these are his people the names who are written cannot be erased do you understand what i'm saying cannot be erased we've seen the book of life mentioned way back in volume one you remember talking about it but also philippians 4 and if you look it's really all through scripture all the way back through the old testament do you notice when the names of the book uh, uh, the names in the book are written from the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world is created, uh, our names, Christians' names, are in this book of life. Now, from the foundation of the world, how is that possible? Did God somehow look forward in time and see who, uh, who would be good, who would be kind of the good girl and, and the bad girl, the good guy and the bad guy, and say, okay, those are my people. No, 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 no. Here's what I want you to know. God chose you from before time, before earth was created. He had you in mind. He knew your name. He knew your hair color. He knew your DNA. He chose you to be redeemed by his son Jesus on the cross before earth was created to live eternal with him, eternally with him in heaven, to be in fellowship with God for all of eternity. Why? Because somehow he knew you would be good enough? No, 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 no. Simply because he chose to love us. Don't believe me? Look at the, what the apostle Peter says. Peter says this, but you are a, say it with me, chosen race. Who, who did the choosing? God did. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who called out of darkness? God did. We didn't somehow say, hey, look, we're good enough. Let's get out of darkness and go to light. Jesus did that. How about this one? Listen to me, you brothers and sisters, you're chosen by God. The Apostle Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, for he chose us in him. Did you see that? He, God, chose us in him. Who's the him? Jesus. Before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why does he choose us? This answers it. Because the good pleasure of his will. It's God's decision. 
even, even this, Jesus himself confirmed. He's, Jesus told us, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. This powerful stuff. And again, again, Paul said in Romans 8, 28, a verse that we all love and know, but many times leave out the next verse that completes the verse. Look at it with me. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are what? Who are what? Called, called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many, many brothers and sisters. Listen to me. Here's what we know. Christians are chosen by God. Can't be good enough on your own. It's why I have people pray to surrender to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's nothing they can do to be saved. You can't be good enough, right? Lord knows we're lost and dead in our sin before Jesus calls us to life. Amen? We are chosen by God. Romans says God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think the question uh, is, will you respond and be brought into salvation with Jesus through his blood? Uh, shed on a cross 2,000 years ago as payment for your sin. Will you surrender to that? Jesus is waking you up. Or, or will you choose, choose the Antichrist? The thing that is against Christ. Sound rough? It is rough. And baby, all eternity hangs in the balance. Here's the crazy thing about being saved or if we die in our sin and spend eternity in hell. Number one is if we come to Christ as our Savior and Lord, we did not do it. We are called. There's nothing good in us. And listen to me, listen to me. If you spend eternity in hell, it's not God's fault. You paddled your own boat. Do you understand? It seems like those are two different things, but hear me, they go together like two sides of the same coin. You are called to be a Christian, and it's God's will. And if you spend eternity in hell, baby, you paddled your boat to get there. That's as clear as I can say it. That is the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says that we are saved by what? Grace. We're saved by grace through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from, one, uh, from one's works, so no one can boast. The book of Revelation, in a way, is like a future history book. Have you ever heard of that? A future history book. It tells us a future that hasn't happened yet. Jesus reveals the end of the story to John before it has happened, and yet it is just as true as if it had already happened. It will come true. Why? Because God, Jesus has said, this is the future. If you're not a Christian, my question is, uh, the Savior is calling you. Will you respond? Will you be saved? Will you Will you turn your life over to him? Will you give him allegiance to your life? And if you're a Christian, the reality of the future revelation is close. It's very close. Uh, 
Jesus tells us himself, he will return soon for his people. It's how he starts and ends the book. If both of those things are true, then why are you holding out part of your life? Why are you still holding on to the sinful ways that you're living? Look up here, look up here. Your actions reveal what you believe. Not what you say, but what you do. You see, the reason we study this book of Revelation is that Jesus himself uh, is the one who revealed it. These are Jesus' words. It's his revelation to John. John is revealing uh, what Jesus wrote down, and Jesus is revealing his character to us. The goal of a Christian studying this book of Revelation is not just to miss hell, but to become everything that God designed you to be. Does that make sense? Fully devoted, mature followers of Christ, leading others to Christ and discipling them and growing them. Next week we see the beast and the dragon and the third member of their group and we see the tribulation come to its full and, uh, uh, can I say, sinful uh, glory, uh, its full power. I hope that you'll join us. Let's pray.